when we were having a conversation with some believers, we were talking about giving. And as you know, that subject can turn into a big conversation. It can start very small and it can turn into an elephant really, really fast. So unless you have a mechanism or a way to get ahead of that conversation, you may end up being drugged into a place that you hadn't intended on going. But you need to be prepared. This is part one of what God has to say about the subject. And as we were researching and praying and seeking God, the revelation began to grow and grow and grow. As you see, the title is God's Reciprocity. God's Reciprocity. What is reciprocity? Your green tag tells you the practice of exchanging things with others for mutual benefit, especially privileges granted by one country or organization to another. So if you think about reciprocity, think of it like this. I will give you this item. Now I have this item, you have that item. If you don't mind standing and, and, and coming and being my example here. <laughs> now, I want what he has. He wants what I have. As you extend your left hand, please. That is reciprocity. An exchange of one item or items or thing for another. Having equal value, listen carefully, to the recipient. It's not the value that it has to the holder. It's the value that it holds to the recipient, the one who's going to receive it. That makes the exchange equal. And why is that important? If you really, really, really were into, I'll say, baseball, in this case, American baseball, and you were a collector of baseball cards, and I have the baseball card that you want to make up your collection. The card may be old, it may be a little bit worn, but to you, the collector, it's of a great value. So you may then ask me, what do I have that you want? And I may take a look at your collection and I may say, wait a minute, is that an autographed baseball you have there? I want that. I'll give you this card for that baseball. Now you can see that the baseball and the card are not the same object, are they not? They're not in the same time. But what's of value to me is the baseball. What you want is the card. Are you understanding? So now when we change I give you, you give me, reciprocity has happened. I've given, I have also received. Reciprocity is a spiritual and physical law. You give and you receive. There's no avoiding it. That act of giving instantly connects to the release from God and vice versa. Mm -hmm. 
But look at what God is asking us. We're going to get deep into the study. Second so, Corinthians 9, 6 is our root text. We'll work from there each time we come together. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly, what is sparingly? Sparingly is cheap or minimum or low or small, mm -hmm. shall reap also sparingly, are you understanding? Like for like. And he which soweth bountifully shall what? Reap also bountifully. What is that? Like for like. The person sowing a little is going to get a little in return. The person sowing a lot is going to receive a lot in return or bountifully, as the scripture said. That's a principle. It's already at work. It's already in action. What we're going to see is what is God asking us? What is he looking to us for? And how am I going to reply or respond to him in this relationship? So reciprocity is looking at the exchange between two or more parties of something of mutual benefit, mutual value. God is asking me for something, and I am also asking God for something. And in that relationship, giving him what he wants. The first point, the first point on the journey, first stopping point, is stewardship. Sometimes there is preaching, sometimes there is teaching. Teaching is the forefront at the moment. Stewardship, look at the definition. The job of supervising or making care of something such as an organization. Our first step from reciprocity is the concept of stewardship. I love God. Why? Because before he asks me for anything, he first gives me something. <laughs> God never asked you for something that he has not already given you. That's how great he is. He has set up the, the reciprocal process by first giving you. Did you notice that before the young man came, what did I do? I, I gave him something. Do you understand? I first gave him something to reciprocate. Now you see. Oh, this is going to be beautiful by the grace of God. So God first gives. Before there's any asking. Understand. God would be illegal to ask you for something that you do not have. Are you understanding? If God says, love me with your own heart, with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, he has already given you that love. And all you have to do is give it to him. Reciprocation is already in motion. It's already happening. It's happening as you're sitting in the seat. It's happening right now as you're thinking. The thoughts of your mind, God is reading. He has already given you the mind of Christ. Everything that he asks you to exchange with him, he has already provided. This is a, a different way of thinking, ladies and gentlemen. It's a, it's a different way of looking at the concept. Before we even get down the road 
and dealing with any type of financial structure, let's understand the concept that God is using. Stewardship. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord God took the man, what man? The man he had created, and put him into the garden of Eden. Why did he do that? To dress it and to keep it. At that point, the note says, it was just about planting and harvesting. No weeds, no destructive bugs, no pesticides, no sweat, no hard labor. Are you understanding? So when God made man, we're all the way at the beginning of the book, the book of Genesis. The first thing God did with the man he created is he gave him something to do. And he gave him a range of responsibility. He said, I'm going to put you here, but you're not going to just be here hanging out. You have an assignment in the garden. Most people would say that the Garden of Eden had to be the most blissful, lovely place on earth ever. Everything was perfect. The temperature was so perfect that Adam and his soon-to-be wife were totally nude. No coats. No boots, no gloves, no hats. Why? Perfect temperature. There were, before the fall, no thorns, no briars, no sticky plants, no biting ants, nothing to harm you in any way. All of the so-called wild animals roaming up and down that God would create, nothing to harm. So Adam is there. God places him in the garden and he gives him a what? Stewardship. Did you read the definition? The job of supervising or taking care of something. That's stewardship. That's what God gave Adam. Stewardship. He first created a perfect environment. If you listen in the spirit, you will get this. He creates a perfect environment that he's calling you into. Conditions that are preset by God. Then he asks you to operate within this environment. It's totally beautiful. God can make a spring in the desert. He, he can take any landscape and create. We look at some of these shows about master gardeners and all the rest of it, and you see how they sculpture and make a wonderful garden out of, out of a rough place. They have nothing on God, nothing on his ability to take any arid place and create. The Bible says in the beginning, the, the earth was without form, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And what did God do? He took that and spoke, let there be light. Boom, instantly opened up everything. Are you seeing? So when we say stewardship, I want you to, by the Holy Spirit, take a minute and I want you to check your resource house. Look within yourself and say, what has God given me to be steward over? Every person in this room and every person at the sound of my voice is loaded with gifts from God. Are you understanding? You are completely filled with gifts, talents, 
skills, abilities, some of them untapped, some of them untouched, some of them lying dormant, just, just lying there, waiting for an awakening. Church, we're going somewhere with this. Genesis chapter 2 tells me something about the mind of God. That he creates, then he gives. He creates, and then he gives. He creates, and then he entrusts. He makes something that did not exist before exist for the exclusive purpose of putting me into it. Come on. Come on. This is, this is deep. You made something that didn't exist before just to put me in it. Giving me an inheritance in a place where I formerly had no business. If he had not created Adam, what would Adam have known about a garden? Nothing. What would he know about? Nothing. So the, the, the fact that our God creates situations that you know nothing about tells me that that possibility exists now. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. If this is his way of operating, creating environments, putting me into it, then is it, is it not still his nature? Is it not still his way? This is why the Christian can never be without hope. Because our God is beyond every possibility. He is beyond whatever you can think possible of happening, God is beyond that. Whatever you can imagine that could happen in terms of your circumstances changing, God is beyond that. Whatever someone told you or you believed about yourself from the time you were a small child until now, God is beyond that. He is beyond your wildest expectations of your life's end. Father, I give you praise. If I say who's driving, I say God is driving. But what is the reciprocity? For Adam receiving this garden. Dress it. Keep it. Oh, come on. That's, that's the exchange. That is the exchange. What is the reciprocity relationship between God and Adam at this point? Adam, I'm putting you in a place that no one ever walked in before. People get excited when they get a new car. Whoa, I'm the first one to drive it. Well, actually, you're not. The mechanic drove it. Delivery person drove it. The one who test drove it off the ramp, they drove it. But they get excited. Oh, I'm the first one to have a new car. I'm a, a new house. I have the keys. Man, they shout and go around in circles. God gave Adam a planet. Are <laughs> oh, you understand? He gave him a planet. He gave him the garden and said, my reciprocal relationship with you, Adam, dress it, keep it. What parent, there might be a few wicked ones, but I'm going to talk about the good ones right now, gives their child a toy, a gift, an item, an object, and that baby turns and smiles and says, thank you. Was not that smile and that thank you worth whatever you gave that child mm -hmm. just to see them happy mm -hmm. just to see them laughing and giggling playing in their imagination running around just that was your reciprocation mm -hmm. 
You're giving. What did the child give you back? The smile, the laughter, the enjoyment of what you gave it. We are breaking concepts in order to get to the truth of what God is doing. He creates and he makes and he says this is the reciprocation between you and I. Dress it, keep it. This is a part of stewardship. Understanding what you have received and then being responsible in how you deal with it. We're walking on our way to a clearer understanding of what's sitting in our bank accounts. We're walking there now. We're taking our time and we're approaching through principles. Not through shouting and sweating and yelling, but through biblical <coughs> principles. God gives and then he asks in exchange for what is given or in condition and in conjunction with what is given, reciprocation is an exchange of mutual values. I want you to be thankful, grateful, and obedient to me. You now receive from me the fullness of my provision for you and your family. How simple. How great and how simple is that, Daddy God? that we would have this relationship. The prosperity principle. If you have your Bible, you need to journey with me a little bit here. So Adam goes into the garden situation because God put him there. Did you hear what I said? Because God placed him there. Because God caused Adam to go into the place that he had created for Adam. He didn't ask Adam where on the face of the earth would you like to live, Adam? He didn't say, Adam, I've been thinking about this little garden spot. It's really cool. It has running water. I think you'll like it. Did he say that? No. He made it. Then he placed him in it. This is the part of the sovereignty of God. That once he designates, that designation is set. You can operate in it and be blessed, or you can try to escape from it and be running. But he said it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 says, Then to Adam, the Lord God said, Because you have listened attentively to the voice of your wife and have eaten fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. The ground is now under a curse. Because of you. In sorrow and toil, you shall eat the fruit of it all the days of your life. And that's from the Amplified. Now before sin, which was the disobedience to God's command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam succumbed, listened, disobeyed God. Before sin... Prosperity came, should be thought, but it's through, should be, excuse the uh, error there, through relationship or obedience. After sin, prosperity will only come through sweat, hard labor. You need to see what just happened. God created a place that was perfect without flaw, without any necessity of change, 
But the change agent was the decision of who? Adam. And when Adam chose to break the relationship the way God had set it up, he changed his own circumstances. Mm. Are you understanding? Adam changed his own circumstances by his decisions. Prosperity from God working through reciprocity as we have seen was simple. I made it. I created it. I'm giving it to you. You give me what? Dressing and keeping and obedience of my commandment. That's our exchange. That's how we're going to work together. We're going to run through the whole earth, you and I, Adam, just this way. That is our exchange rate. Are you seeing this? So who changed the deal? Adam changed the deal. He got out of the reciprocity relationship with God by choosing to disobey. Now everything that was flowing to you easily, freely, you will still get fruit, but you're going to work for it. Oh, yeah. You're going to still get the grain from the earth, but you're going to sweat for it. From today, you are going to toil. You're going to feel the weight of what it's like to try to make a living. Whereas before, all you had to do was harvest, maintain. Everything is flowing. The ground is easy to dig. The soil is reacting to you. Are you seeing the difference here? So in this relationship that God sets up, it's peaceful, my sisters and brothers. There's no stress. There's no anxiety. There's no worry. How am I going to pay this? And how am I going to pay that? And I need money. Well, you're already down the road. That's why so many people get frustrated. They're already down the road. We have gone back to the beginning and looked at what did God actually set up and what happened to change it. I used to say, well, if so-and-so had told me about uh, 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 financial obligations, if so-and-so had told me about uh, credit and all these things, I would have never got drunk. That's already happened. That's already done. You can't undo that. Adam has already sinned, ladies and gentlemen. He's already broken something. As we will see later, you have to get to the second Adam before you can hit the reset button. We will get there. <laughs> but we first have to understand what is going on. So prosperity flows through relationship. As we said last week, prosperity is not some addendum to the gospel. Prosperity is in the gospel. And is understanding how it is in the gospel that allows us to live in it. Live in what? Live in that prosperity. Not as some special other thing, but as a part of our everyday life existence in life. Understand? So the ground now has received a different command. Well, what command did it have in the first place? The ground had the command to yield easily to produce for Adam. Why? Because God told it to. But now the ground has come under a curse because of the disobedience of the man. Well, what was the man taken from? The earth. Did not God make Adam from the dust of 
the earth. So your contradiction has affected not just you, but what you came from. Lord, let it, let, it, let it come through, Jesus. Let the revelation come through. So the very soil that you were taken from, that you are connected to, the earth and man were supposed to work together. And the produce that God was bringing was supposed to come naturally, easily. No stress, no stretching, no worries. Are you understanding? But Adam broke that relationship and it affected where he came from. The earth itself was brought under the curse. I didn't make that up, it's right there in the book. In sorrow and toil, you will eat the fruit. You will eat, but you're gonna to have to work for it now like you've never worked before. And this is because of sin. So the prosperity principle, if you grab it, is working through obedience and the reciprocity that's exchanged between God and man was in perfect order before sin. So what does that tell me? Sin is the only thing that can break my prosperity. That's the only thing that can break it. That's, that's the only thing that can break it. As long as I am walking with my God, that flow continues uninterrupted. It would take me doing something other for that to be interrupted. And sometimes the interruption is lack of knowledge. My people perish for lack of knowledge. So we want to get back to that. From Adam to Abram or Abraham. Bible scholars could read this anytime they wanted to. Approximately 2,000 years spanned between Adam and Abraham. The Bible devotes only eight chapters to this period. During this time, you will see fallen angels going to the daughters of men, producing Nephilim, giants. You will see the flood of Noah during this time period. You will also see the Tower of Babel where God confounded the languages of men. All of that happened in a 2,000 year period between Adam and Abraham. Between Adam breaking the covenant a lot of upheaval happened on the world, on the planet. When we get disconnected from the plan and purpose of God, all kinds of madness can happen. Why? Because he planned our lives to go a certain way, his way. And when I step out of that, I am stepping into chaos. I am stepping right into the path of a train speeding right at my face. Because under this divine protection, things I don't even know about cannot happen. Amen. Things I have never seen will never occur. Why? Because I'm in the will of God. Amen. I'm just walking with God. So I don't even know the threats left and right. You didn't even see the sniper on the roof with the bead on your head. You didn't see the wild animal running after you when it fell into a pit just before it got to you. There's all kind of madness happening. Amen. How, do, how do you know that, preacher? If you have access to the internet or newspaper, 
Look at what's happening to other people. Nobody broke in your property last night and cut your head off. I know that's graphic. Nobody raped you on the subway. Nobody beat you up in the street. Nobody shot you as you're walking down the road. Nobody tipped some polonium into your tea as you were having tea and poisoned you with the radioactive isotopes. But it happened to somebody else. In the last 24 hours, I dare you to go and see how many people were killed in the last 24 hours and how they died. So what's keeping that from happening to you and I? It is the providence of God. It is the providence of, it is God's covenant with us. <laughs> My Jesus. 2,000 years passed between Adam and Abraham. And all of this madness and drama went on. You get to Genesis chapter 9, verse 11. And I will establish my what? My covenant. What is that? That's a relationship with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of the flood. Now, who is he talking to? Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. That covenant, I'll give you the answer there, is between Noah and his sons. So between Adam and Abraham, there's only one other covenant mentioned, and that's the covenant that God made with Noah. But the earth is still cursed. The covenant, as you see in the image, was signed by a rainbow as a guarantee that when you see the rainbow, know that the promise of God is sure. I will never, ever destroy all flesh again by water. See anything about fire. But I will never destroy, there will never be another global flood. And that is the only other covenant that's happening in this 2,000 year period is this covenant and it's only pertaining to stopping the flood waters from emerging. But the earth is still under the curse. You still have to work. You see. There are things you can do and undo. And God has said. I won't do that again. But you still have problems to work through. Genesis 12 and 2. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee. Who will I will bless thee. And make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. This, ladies and gentlemen, Genesis chapter 12, was spoken to Abram. It is the first sign of a return to godly prosperity through relationship since Adam, 2,000 years before. And this is done in spite of the condition of the earth. The earth is still cursed. So God now hits the reset button with Abram and says, I'm going to strike a covenant with you. This covenant is similar to the one I made with Adam in the beginning. And I'm going to bring it to you to begin this relationship again. Mm. He didn't say that to Noah. He said it to Abram. Mm. He told Noah, you'll be blessed, but I'm going to prevent the waters of the flood from destroying the planet. But this 
is the return of the God type of prosperity whereby God gives you. First, let's prove it. Abram, Ham, the rich. I love this area right here. It's glorious. And this picture shows that the artist was very clever in his concept of showing you the progression of all that Abraham had, all of his camels and all of the uh, employers and slaves and workers and family going far back as you can see. We'll see how many persons he was controlling shortly. Genesis chapter 13, verse 2. And Abram was what? Can anybody say it? Very rich. You can say it's okay, it won't bite you. And Abram was very rich in what? Cattle, silver, and gold. Ladies and gentlemen, this is chapter 13 of Genesis. You need to mark this. You need to understand what's being said. The term very rich. Let's look at the, what the commentary. This is the Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary. It's one I use quite regularly because it's quite good in, in a lot of places. So this term very rich, compared with the pastoral tribes, those are the ones who use pasture land or grazing land. Compared to the pastoral tribes to which Abraham belonged, an Arab sheik is considered rich who has a hundred or two hundred tents from 60 to 100 camels, a 1,000 sheep and goats, respectively. Abram, being very rich, must have far exceeded that amount of pastoral property. So you can see that he was sitting on wealth before any mention of a tithe even came up. He was already rich. Did you know that's in the Bible? It's right there in the Bible. But people who are teaching along those lines are trying to make you think that it's only after he initiated a tithe that he became rich. Honey, he was rich before that. So where did the wealth come from? It came from God, which is why we went back to Genesis to see with Adam, he had the entire garden. He had everything before. He was made a steward the same way Abraham is a steward of all that he is sitting on. He was very rich already. <laughs> My God. It's right there in the word. And guess what else? His nephew, which was his brother's son, Lot, who was journeying with him, 13.5 says, And Lot also, who? And Lot also, which went with him, Abram had flocks and herds and tents. All of that was before the tithe. So there is no way anyone can tie that mandate as a prerequisite for riches. I'm looking right at it. Can you not read? I can read the scriptures. Can you read the scriptures? The Bible says he was very rich. Chapter 13, verse 2. And that Lot also had wealth. Look at that. Flocks, herds, and tents. And hadn't given a dime to anybody or to anything. And was very rich. That should settle on your theology. That should settle on your theology. We're building the principles that are in the book. We're getting away from the hocus, focus, hocus, pocus, and the 
running around the truth and we're looking directly at what the Bible actually says. And you would think that I put that there because I'm saying it. All I did was go and read it. And I would also think all of these persons preaching the opposite, do you think they don't have a Bible? That they can't read what I'm reading to you right now? It's right there. He was already wealthy. Free will. Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, this is where everyone is familiar with, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Verse 19, underline if you can. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram. What did he do? He blessed him. Of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. Verse 20. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Now that's where most people hear their teaching. They start right there. You see, he gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Did the tithe come before or after the blessing? Read. Verse 19 says he blessed him. Verse 20 says he gave a tithe. Does 19 come before or after 20? So, so the blessing was pronounced before the tithe. Oh, I wish I had somebody that could run with me on this thing. Do you see what's happening? So why are we being told that after you give, then you'll get? You've broken the, recipro the reciprocity and the relationship between myself and my father. He always gives first. Then he asked you for what you have been given as a sign and a token of relationship and trust. Not the other way around. Nowhere does God say, you give me first and then I'll give you something. Lord, help me calm down. I, I prayed. I did pray. I did ask the Lord, help me be calm. So let me calm down. Whoo! I hate to see people being abused. Amen. I hate to see people being lied to. I hate to see people believing in something that's not even in the Bible. And they will argue with you because they are, they're scared and they're afraid. If I don't do this, I'm under a curse. Oh, if I don't do this, God's going to get me. Where did you get that from? It's not in the book for you. We'll get to that later. That's another part. We're just on part one. But I want to drill down into this part deep and put a, cer a, a certain firm anchor in the soil of your spirit to understand what's happening. That from Adam to Abraham, two covenants of prosperity were mentioned. In the first relationship, God gave Adam everything he needed and only asked for the reciprocation of obedience. Dress it, keep it. Dress it, keep it. It's yours. Dress it, keep it. You have everything you need. He walked away by sin. Hello. No one else for 2,000 years had a covenant or relationship discussing prosperity for 2,000 years. Until Abram comes along 
And he says, now with you, I'm going to restart this process. And he began to bless him. And what's the first thing that you see? He became very rich through that relationship. He meets Melchizedek, the, priest of, the high priest of God. And before he opens his mouth, the priest blessed him. Before he gives him anything, the priest blessed him. You are reading the scriptures with me. Where in there do you see Melchizedek saying, give me the tithe and I will give you the blessing? Where do you see Melchizedek saying, if you what you got in your back pocket, Abram, that looks like some gold. If you give me some of that gold, I'm going to give you ten blessings. Come on, church. Please, if I'm reading this wrong, stop me now. I believe I have the Holy Ghost. I believe that 19 comes before 20. I believe I can see him being blessed. Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God in verse 19. Before Abraham decides without any unction, any push, any coercion, any guilt complex, he gave because he wanted to. He gives without command, compulsion, after he is blessed by the high priest. No conditions set for the giving. That's your Bible. That's our Bible. So where is this stuff coming from? Who is telling us it's the other way around? You give me this and then I'll give you that. You release this to me and God will release his hand. Get out of the face of God with this garbage. Holding people in bondage and in fear. Giving because they're trembling and afraid. I'm going to be under a curse if I don't give. You're not even a Hebrew. You're not even Jewish. Preach, preach. You live in the New Testament, beloved. Mm. You don't live in the Old Testament. Amen. We're just looking at the scriptures. That's part one. Amen. That's part one. Oh, That's part one. We're not going to run from the truth, okay? We're not going to run from the Word of God. We're not going to read something else. No, we're going to read the Bible. We're going to read what it actually says in the book. We're not going to tell people we think it says this and it might say that. No! Open the Bible and read what it says. This is how people have been deceived and confused. Reading through someone else's eyes. Most people don't even carry Bibles to church in any form, whether electronic or any other. I could tell them that peanut butter was the first meal that Adam had, and they would believe it. <laughs> Mac, no, actually, macaroni and cheese was his first meal. God made it in the garden for him. And they would say, oh, yeah, God said macaroni and cheese. Without even looking. Oh, Lord, I want to go further than this, but I know your spirit has a timetable. It's going to take people a while to digest just what, I, just what we've covered. Some people are going to be in shock. They'll be calling their pastor. Pastor, does it really say that Abraham was blessed before he gave the tithe? Pastor, does it really say that Abraham was already rich? Not just rich, very rich? And hadn't given anything? Yeah, it's in the Bible. So why are they not telling you? So go ask your pastor. Why, why are you telling me I'll be under a curse if I don't tithe, if I don't give, give this money? Abraham didn't give because of that. Oh, well, you know, the, the tithing exists before the Levitical law. Yeah, we just read it. This is the only mention of tithing before the Levitical order, which we will study later. 
It's, we just read it in Genesis chapter 13. So where is this stuff coming from? Father, pray in Jesus' name right now for the release of the people of God. Amen. Yes. I pray for every lying spirit, yes. every lying doctrine that yes. is set on your people, every falsehood, yes. every false understanding of your principles of giving, of sowing, of reaping, of reciprocity, of relationship, of stewardship would be broken, that the people's eyes would be opened, that every person hearing this message would go get their Bible and read it for themselves and see that your blessing precedes any form of giving on our part that you have already extended it and you've shown us faithful Abraham before he did any tithing or any such thing you had made him very rich Father cause us to understand these principles cause us to understand what your word is saying that we might be free of every obligation and every compulsion and every burden every lie upon us that we have believed we release ourselves from it every lie of the curse we are blessed in heavenly places and cannot be cursed because you have blessed us and whom you have blessed nobody can curse and we thank that we are not under the law or the legal system but set free by Jesus Christ in Jesus' name, we pray and believe. Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. Find someone, put your arms around them, confirm the word in them.